It's time for the WCW Monday Nitro main event of the evening. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. But it's Donald Trump hangs on to the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm as they sink to the bottom of the sea. Thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. I'm here to take a good, long look at this crap I'm in. Oh, my new name is Seven, by the way, so... They've dressed me up like Uncle Fester. And I don't mind telling you, I was wearing these $600 custom-made lizard shoes and this $13,000 Rolex. Welcome back to the Main Event Podcast. We hope everyone's getting along okay amidst COVID-19 pandemic 2020. Uh, with that being said, there's um, never been a better time for content creation. And you know what? Here on the Main Event Podcast, we are uh, turning through it because this week we're going to be talking about uh, the Dark Side of the Ring, a Benoit episode. Um, in the next coming weeks, we're going to be doing interviews with um, former um, NWA star Nikita Koloff, I mean, wrestled Ric Flair for the world title in 1986 at Starcade. Feuds with guys like Lex Luger and Sting, uh, a part of the Russians who feuded with the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, so Nikita Koloff going to be joining us to talk about what he's up to during the pandemic. Uh, some of his most memorable feuds in wrestling. Uh, gosh, his Russian chain match with Sting at Great American Bash 91. So we got that coming up. Also, former WCW ring announcer David Penzer is going to be joining us as well. So the interviews, we're going to keep cranking them out here each week on the Main Event Podcast, but we thought um, it was definitely pertinent to uh, really delve into this uh, Dark Side of the Ring uh, documentary that was aired on Vice uh, just last week. Um, Dark Side of the Ring is... Um, a show that uh, season one took place uh, last year. Uh, it's created by Evan Husney and Jason Eisner, and they really are tackling, uh, you know, some controversial subjects and, and figures in the wrestling world, Noah. Uh, going back to last year, they did one on like, Bruiser Brody, the Montreal Screwjob, and uh, they actually just got done doing one on New Jack, the uh, insane ECW wrestler. Highly recommend that. But th this Benoit one has got everyone talking, uh, everyone in the wrestling world, those that were close closest to him. Uh, reliving this has been crazy uh, 13 years later. I mean, has it kind of changed your perspective on things at all, reliving this? I think it has. And uh, just to kind of start off here, I think you and I have a little differing opinion on Chris Benoit, the wrestler. And, and back when we were watching, um, for me personally, I'll just go here first, that I loved his in-ring technique. I mean, the rolling German suplexes, the flying headbutt, the crippler crossface, loved all that. Unfortunately, that's not enough to get me to be a huge fan or really just give myself emotionally to that character because he had no mic skills, no personality other than kind of an intense in-ring persona. But there just wasn't enough for me to care. I mean, going back to those days, I was a huge fan of La Parca, a Mexican luchador wrestler known as the chairman of WCW. He'd come out, he'd play the chair like a guitar, he'd use it during matches when his opponents were incapacitated, he'd get up on the chair and do a little dance, and he had more personality, and I liked him more, even though he didn't have the in-ring prowess of a Benoit. 
Well, I started to become familiar with Chris Benoit in, in and around 1995 when he returned to World Championship Wrestling. He had been uh, working for uh, New Japan. He had been in WCW in the early 90s, but in a very small role. But um, very quickly, uh, he took on this like crippler persona and uh, really began to stand out. He had runs with uh, the Four Horsemen. Um, and again, I because of professional wrestling being so important to me, the way that uh, the characters relate to fans. I never really related to Chris because like you said, he just, uh, you know, the, the promos weren't really there. His in-ring work is and has always been really solid. Uh, WWE really doing its part to sort of erase everything he's done. I mean, he uh, won the WCW title in 99, uh, won the WWE championship uh, later on as well. So he was recognized as uh, someone that's, uh, you know, at the top of his game, the top of his craft, uh, recognized by both major companies by being champion of each. Uh, both times I thought it was almost like a courtesy. This guy's an amazing in-ring worker and uh, does all the right things. We just got to give him the title. He's earned it, right? Same could kind of be said for Eddie Guerrero, although Eddie uh, definitely had um, more of a, of a persona. But, you know, Chris winning the WCW title finally in 99, I think was a big step for him, big for his career. Uh, and then uh, in uh, 2000, you've got uh, Chris Benoit, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn go to the WWF as the Radicals. They were all burnt out in WCW. They saw the sinking ship, so they go to the WWF, and it did prove to be vital for uh, all their careers, and they did the right thing, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and just to touch on what you were talking about there a little bit, like I always thought Chris Benoit, while I enjoyed his work in the ring, was just a United States title guy, and that's kind of where he was. Like, yeah, he could out-wrestle as far as in-ring, just moves and, and talent. So, like, he could out-wrestle Kevin Nash and and uh, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, and but their personalities was what made them huge and larger than life, and people care in the pop of the crowd, and, and that's what made them worthy of being heavyweight title contenders and champions. And just, I didn't feel like... Uh, like you said, maybe Chris had earned that for th this one time. He wins it in 99 and, and wins it in WWE. But as far as uh, over a span of a career and and being a well-known name and carrying the business, that's left to the guys that that uh, can work in the ring as well as have these larger-than-life personas. And one thing about it, like you mentioned Eddie Guerrero there, I didn't know they were such good friends. Like just watching this kind of opened my eyes to just how deep their friendship went. And of course, I kind of knew that when they went to the WWE together that uh, Benoit Guerrero and Malenko, but I didn't know how close Benoit and Guerrero were until I watched this. Well, let's uh, kind of fast forward as we could uh, get into a lot of things about Benoit's career, but uh, the dark side of the ring, of course, really uh, goes in depth, especially uh, kind of in part two there. Uh, and you can watch this on YouTube. You can go to uh, vice their website. If you don't have vice on your cable package, you can go to vice uh, their website, vice.com. And uh, you can watch these episodes in full and I recommend that you do that order. Uh, this one's definitely uh, on YouTube as well in two parts. Uh, definitely in that second part there, you got more into um, the unbelievable thing that happened. And that's sort of why we're doing this, why we're talking about it, because um, over a three-day period between June 22nd and 24th, 2007, Chris Benoit, then uh, age 40, um, was living in Fayetteville, Georgia. He uh, killed his wife, Nancy Benoit, who had um, also been uh, around wrestling and as a persona for many years as woman. Um, and he also suffocated their seven-year-old son, Daniel, before hanging himself. The autopsy results showed that Benoit's wife was murdered first as she was bound at the feet and wrists and died of asphyxiation. That was on June 22nd. 
Um, Nancy was found wrapped in a towel with blood under her head, although Fayetteville County District Attorney Scott Bellard uh, reported no other signs of struggle. Uh, the couple's son, Daniel, uh, also died of asphyxia, apparently killed as he was lying on his bed on the morning of June 23rd. Then on the evening of June 24th, Benoit committed suicide in his weight room, where he used uh, the lap pull-down machine to hang himself. He had, uh, when the police raided the home, they had found uh, Google searches, kind of uh, Chris trying to Google the you know, best, easiest, quickest way to, to break your neck with a device like this. So clearly Chris, uh, whether it be CTE, whether it be the, uh, the pressure of his relationship with Nancy failing with couple that with uh, substance use, Eddie Guerrero's passing and you have recipe here for maybe a perfect storm of this uh, downward spiral that we saw here. Accurate. Very accurate. And that's kind of where I wanted to go when uh, Eddie Guerrero passed away in a hotel um, on November 13th, 2005. And, uh, I mentioned how close Benoit and Grail were and t to understand the end result of this and what happened, that horrific act that, uh, Chris Benoit and his family went through there at the end, you've got to go back to Eddie Guerrero passing in 2005. And just the way Chavo Guerrero explained Benoit's reaction, like a deep heartbreak you could hear in his wail over the phone, like he took it worse than anyone else did, which I found weird, like Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero's uh, uncle. And he said Benoit took it worse than anyone. It seemed as if it was almost like or even worse than losing a spouse to him. And just that kind of shook me. And, and then the WWE tribute that they did for Eddie Guerrero. And during that, you could see that Chris was a mess, more so by far than anyone else. He could barely get his words out as he sobbed and, and had to pause to try to compose himself before getting just a couple more words out. And... Uh, at Eddie's funeral, Jericho recalled Chris giving him a huge hug and said it was the, one of the most desperate, saddest, I'm hanging on for dear life hugs you could ever get with deep, hitching sobs, leaving tears on his jacket that soaked all the way through to his shirt. And just every place he went after that to wrestle, he's in Kansas City saying, oh man, the last time I was here, Eddie was here. He's in Mexico, oh, the last time I was here, Eddie was here. So you could just get a sense and a feel of just the pain and anguish he was going through day in and day out without his best friend, Eddie Guerrero. And I think that that just played a huge role in this. And immediately like after that, like or after everything with Benoit, uh, people wanted to label it roid rage and... I just think that there's so much that goes on in this. There were there was a thing with Larry King live with I think John Cena, Chris Jericho, and Bret Hart, and and uh, Larry King's asking them and trying to get a headline, and not just him, all news outlets. They wanted just a simple reason for this to happen. They wanted to put it in this this simple, nice little box of roid rage, steroids, and just I've learned that in these situations, it's seldomly simple and it's mostly always complex, and that's what I think this was. Oh, that is so well said. I remember back to that, all the wrestlers that were being interviewed on CNN and on national news uh, shows and kind of wanting to blame this on Roid Rage. I mean, it, it does the show Dark Side of the Ring and this particular episode definitely shines a very uh, unfortunate light on this profession that we love so much. I mean, uh, Chris Benoit is one of many very untimely deaths that have happened. And his is more tragic because it involved a, 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 a defenseless woman and child. Not only that, but you look at just in the last five years, people that we've lost, Roddy Roddy Piper, Dusty Rhodes, 
Uh, you go back to this countless Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Kurt Henning, and the Ultimate Warrior, and Rick Rude. You can just keep the let list just keeps going on and on. And this business for uh, has many pitfalls. We know that we've seen it um, exposed over the years. But you, it really is unfortunate when you have to look at it in this way because th- this is such a part of our childhoods. And watching this has brought us so much joy over the years. This business, uh, the athleticism, the drama, everything about it we've been so drawn to our whole lives. And yet on the flip side of this, you have these types of things occurring and it's almost like at what price are these wrestlers putting their body on the line and doing this? Now, I think today's standards a lot better. And you know why? I think uh, former wrestler uh, Chris Nowinski is a big part of that. He was a, I believe a, a Harvard uh, neurosurgeon and he uh, actually was in contact with Chris Benoit before his death. He said that Chris Benoit um, was definitely suffering from repeated, untreated concussions throughout his wrestling career. He said during the episode that uh, he asked him how many he thought he had. He said he probably lost count at, you know, 15 or 20. I mean, and that's just going through, you know, 20 years of a career. You can only imagine how many times something like that impacted the brain. The flying headbutt, his uh, signature maneuver was something that he was told not to do, you know, by the Dynamite Kid. He wanted to do it because the Dynamite Kid did it. Um... And this ultimately led to an uh, ultimately led to an unstable mental state for 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 uh, Chris Benoit. Uh, Nowitzki was quoted as saying that Benoit was one of the guys who would take a cheer shot to the back of the head, which is stupid. <laughs> Chris Nowitzki was a pro wrestler there for uh, just a few years, but he was he's now a neurosurgeon and was a Harvard graduate, and so he he's one of the, the leading you know as far as uh, CTE re- research goes with regards to football. He played football at Harvard as well. And that he, his research has actually helped shine a light on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the act of itself is of course just horrendous and, uh, but was that really Chris? And that's kind of a question that's kind of touched on a little bit at the end here. And of course they went into his drinking, his drugs, including steroid substance abuse, a horrible case of CTE that we learned was his brain was studied after he died. Uh, but Eddie Guerrero's death, in my opinion, also played a huge role in this. Like I talked about, like, he, they talked about him getting a journal, giving him a journal after Eddie's death, and he's writing in it, and he, in a, there's a part where he says he'll see him again soon. And I don't know what caused him to snap and commit those horrible, just terrible acts against his wife and his little son, Daniel. But I'm almost certain it was, it was a plethora of factors that all worked against him and his family in this situation. I mean, people, I know at the end there, like, describe near the end of everything and the act itself, including his son, David, that wasn't Chris. That wasn't the Chris that they knew. Like, it's just too easy to say that Chris Benoit is this horrible, evil person. The act he committed was, I mean, but to me, that shouldn't take away, even as horrible and horrific as it was, who Chris was almost like 99% of his life. Dean Malenko said it's unthinkable and unforgivable. I think Jericho used the word unforgivable too, and, and you should, but that almost doesn't or shouldn't erase the memories of the good times with their good friend, who was in his right mind just could have never done anything like that. And is still one of the greatest wrestlers that they've ever been around. And, and let's not forget David and all this, his other son from another marriage, the WWE shut him out because he was a Benoit. And the only people that reached out Chavo and Jericho reached out to him. And uh, for David, Chris is still his hero. It's his dad wrestling's in his blood. It's the man he remembers. And he, he was a kind man, a loving father and just not the one who committed that terrible act because Chris lost his mind. It wasn't the same person for all those factors that we've talked about. 
I'll tell you what, um, anytime you saw David on screen, especially towards the end when he had to be consoled by Chavo Guerrero during the interview um, on Dark Side of the Ring, that brought absolutely tears to my eyes. He talked about being bullied and people ignoring him because he's a Benoit. What a horrible life to have to lead uh, when you've grown up with your dad as your hero that's in the national spotlight, that's a famous wrestling champion, that's always been there for you, been your protector. And now you have to deal with that he's done this heinous act and that is what defines him forever. And you brought up a good point there. I thought the show brought really good levity and sort of provided an equalizer to the fact that Chris Benoit's accomplishments versus what he did and what should define him. And I think that's hard for a lot of his friends. It's hard for a lot of wrestling fans. It's hard for a lot of certainly media members to look at this and uh, sort of prop up what he did in the ring while also acknowledging the heinous act. It's almost like you have to pick a side one way or the other. Should he be erased? Uh, the WWE uh, has certainly done enough to try to erase his name, but I mean, uh, his matches are still available on WWE Network, so they haven't gone uh, you know, over the top far. I mean, he won the World Wrestling uh, Federation Championship at WrestleMania 20 against Shawn Michaels and Triple H. You can't erase that. That is a moment in time, like you said, when Chris was in his right mind. I think the show did a great job. I think that the show would not be as impactful without Chris Jericho's narration. Season one featured narration from Dirty Dutch Mantel. Let me tell you, I respect what Dirty Dutch Mantel does for wrestling, but he has this really kind of thick, to southern accent and it just the the narration was not near as good in season one chris jericho does the season two narrations and of course being interviewed for that so think about those interviews i kind of want to throw it back to you on this chris jericho chavo guerrero uh guys like jim ross there are so many pointed interviews on uh, nancy's sister all these interviews i think were done very well the production was very high but i to me chris jericho's involvement uh maybe and uh, certainly chavo's uh, the, as the most impactful yeah, absolutely. Nancy's sister at the end talked about how she'll she thinks that she'll be able to forgive him at some point. Um, and she said during the interview, maybe it's tomorrow. Um, but she knows that it wasn't that day that she was being interviewed. She's like, it's not today. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But at some point, I think I will be able to forgive him because the burden of carrying around this anger and this hatred is just too much. And I've got to move on. And and uh, I was so happy to see that Chris Jericho reached out to her and David and was able to get them together because someone in the Benoit family, uh, they didn't mention who, had said that David Benoit uh, didn't want to talk to Nancy's sister. Nancy's sister didn't want to talk to them. That David was told that. And so Chris Jericho, uh, doing this, learned that that wasn't the case. They both wanted to, but it had been 13 years and they weren't sure. And so uh, he gave David's number to Nancy's sister. Nancy's sister got David... Uh, David got Nancy's sister's number, and so it was great to see them connect, and uh, he invited them to an AEW event, and uh, they, David just loved being at a wrestling event again, and it, like he said, it's in his blood, and these interviews, and at the very beginning, Jericho says something about, uh, like, look, I'm going to talk about how great that Benoit was in the ring, and just him as a person before this horrible thing, and and so if you can't stomach that, if you don't want to hear that, if you're not ready to hear that, turn this off right now. Because Jericho wasn't going to hold back. He wasn't going to just toe the line of everyone painting him as this evil, horrible person. That's all that you could talk about when mentioning Benoit. And he's like, there's other stuff here. And uh, they all talk about how it's tough for them. to. It's an unforgivable act, but 
they have all these memories and they knew Chris is a completely different person, someone who could never commit this act. So uh, it's a, it's a tough thing for them to balance, to go back to those memories. And I understand why the WWE distances themselves and, and kind of erasing his name and he's not in the hall of fame. And I'm fine with that, but I just think to provide some more perspective and go deeper into this, like I mentioned, this isn't all that Chris was and you can hate him for the act. I do. Everyone should. It's horrendous, but he wasn't in his right mind. That's not the Chris that he was when he was in his right mind. 99% of his life. Yeah, this is an interesting case study and kind of how we should and are supposed to react to some, an over the top incident like this. And uh, does one act define a person? We live in a society where, you know, we, we like to give people second chances. You look at, uh, you know, a lot of professional athletes that, you know, if are involved in domestic abuse, do they get another chance to play? It's been a long going discussion. And I think this opens that up. I mean, Chris Jericho talks about how this nearly took down the business of professional wrestling. And I get that. I mean, this man already had to go through uh, a, an absolutely intrusive steroid trial in the early 90s. And they were going to send McMahon to prison for forcing wrestlers to take steroids. Hulk Hogan stood up on the stand and said, and they asked him, does Vince McMahon ever given you a steroid? Of course not. No. So Vince McMahon avoided a prison sentence in the early nineties from steroids. Then it comes back uh, with this story. Now, 13 years later, it kind of gets brought up with the show again, excellently done by uh, Evan Husney and Jason Eisner, uh, dark side of the ring. Again, it's on vice. Uh, if you don't have that cable package, it is on their website. And um, the first two episodes are on YouTube. Um, Tremendous stuff. You know, you and I are filmmakers to be able to get all this stuff, to be able to get some of these, uh, you know, these subjects to relive this and to interview for this. And I, I think it was tremendous, very well done. And I think it was, uh, you know, pretty right down the middle as far as, I, I don't think it went so far as to, as to take a side, even though the obvious side here is that it was a tragedy. No one's going to argue that, but overall, it really brought up a lot of painful memories for me when this occurred. So, but it also educated me on a lot of things as well. So I think overall very well done. And I was very happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just brought insight into so many other things and how people want to paint it as him being horrible or roids or, or whatever. I think it is just a cocktail of issues that uh, just overwhelmed him and blew up and, and I think even Chris Jericho uses this term, he just snapped. And it was a myriad of things going on in his life to wanting to be with Eddie again. Eddie, just his death, just crushing his soul. I mean, to where he just couldn't compose himself. And Jericho said, yeah, he didn't handle it well, obviously. And he's uh, at over at Eddie's house uh, on Eddie's side of the bed, like holding his pillow and crying. He's, he's crying into uh, Eddie's wife's... Uh, arms and just he can't compose himself the deep deep hitching sobs that everyone talks about and and yeah the drinking and the drugs and the cte i mean there's so many factors at play here but beautifully done taking me deep into this as far as their, his relationship with eddie and and showing him at uh the wwe kind of tribute to eddie and sh kind of focusing in on benoit there as he's standing there and just the tears streaming down his face and and so, man, it's it's painful all around for the people that are still here, for the people that are gone. 
I mean, it is a tragedy in every sense of the word that lives on through these people and these interviews that you see. And so uh, I recommend it completely. It is tough to watch. It's uh, it's depressing. It's sad, but it opens your eyes and uh, it, it makes you it opens your heart to feel for these people that are still here and still dealing with this on a daily basis. The positives that can be taken, the WWE's wellness and drug policies completely changed after this. Um, it's to the point now where uh, you saw like in the uh, Beyond the Mat documentary where Mankind, uh, Mick Foley was taking just unprotected chair shot after unprotected chair shot to the head. WWE no longer allows chair shots. They're doing everything they can to try to comply and to try to prevent something like this from ever happening again. So people growing up in the wrestling business today to not have to worry about uh, as much, uh, obviously there's only, when you have physical contact and athleticism, the way that it exists in pro wrestling, you're going to, you're going to have things happen. You're going to have injuries, but the WWE is, uh, definitely revamped everything that, uh, the, 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 uh, with regards to their wellness policy, thank goodness for that. You're not getting in a ring today. If you have or suspect of a concussion, you go through protocol, just like a professional athlete would a football player, anything like that. So some positives from that. If this never happens again, then, uh, you know, hopefully that can be the one positive thing that comes from it. So putting a, a ribbon on this, I'm very glad we were able to have this dialogue and, and talk about um, kind of the career of, of Chris Benoit and the unfortunate tragedy of the show, Dark Side of the Ring. We highly recommend it. If you like what we're doing, please hit that subscribe button there on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. The main event podcast, we are bringing you um, topics and interviews uh, from the world of wrestling, some of which you've never heard and uh, may never hear again, because we have some great interviews coming up. Uh, we've heard our interviews we just did with uh, uh, Ricky Morton last week. Uh, we've had on guys like Gary Michael Capetta, former WCW ring announcer. We have David Penzer coming up as well. Uh, we've interviewed Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, uh, guys like Alex Wright, Scotty Riggs in the past. So go back and check out those interviews uh, kind of in our archives there. Our website is ignitroentertainment.com. Hope you will check that out as well. Thank you so much for joining us here on the main event.